Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, March 19th, 2018. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in the chapter more about alcoholism, and we are on page 39. We will be reading the second paragraph, starting with the second paragraph, Fred is a partner, and reading through two paragraphs, ending was, yet he was flat on his back. The ref- and today's readers are the 12 Steps, KB, the 12 Traditions, Polly B. Our text readers are Carmela G, Russ M, Craig F. And our newcomer greeter today is Kathy G. And the host for the second hour is Lisa H. And a share ID for yesterday, Sunday, the special edition, March 18th, 2018, is 11,179. 11179. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask KB to read the 12 steps of OA for us, please. This is KB, honored to read the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so, would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, 
promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, KB. I will now ask Polly B. to read the 12 Traditions of OA for us, please. Thank you, Monica. This is Polly B., grateful to be a recovered compulsive eater. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal unity. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, our group purpose. There is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Let's problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contribution. Eight, <clears throat> Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Polly B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and the literature that we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. I will say time when the three minutes are up. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. 
in order to have a quiet meeting. Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We are in the chapter more about alcoholism. We are on page 39. We will be starting with the second paragraph. Fred is a partner in a well-known accounting firm and reading through two paragraphs ending with, yet was flat on his back. And comments will be taken on both paragraphs. And with that, I'm going to ask Kamala G. if she would read for us, please. Thank you, Monica. Can you hear me? I can. Very good. Thank you. This is Carmela G. from New York, a grateful compulsive overeater in recovery for today. Thank God. Fred is partner in a well-known accounting firm. His income is good. He has a fine home, is happily married, and the father of promising children of college age. He has so attractive a personality that he makes friends with everyone. If ever there was a successful businessman, it was Fred. To all appearance, he is a stable, well-balanced individual, yet he is alcoholic. We first saw Fred about a year ago in a hospital where he had gone to recover from a bad case of jitters. It was his first experience of this kind, and he was much ashamed of it. Far from admitting he was an alcoholic, he told himself he came to hospital to rest his nerves. The doctor intimidated strongly that he might be worse than he realized. For a few days, he was depressed about his condition. He made up his mind to quit drinking altogether. It never occurred to him that perhaps he could not do so, in spite of his character and standing. Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic, much less accept a spiritual remedy for his problem. We told him what we knew about alcoholism. He was interested and conceded that he had some of the symptoms, but was a long way from admitting that he could do nothing about it himself. He was positive that this humiliating experience, plus the knowledge he had acquired, would keep him sober the rest of his life. Self-knowledge would fix it. We heard no more of Fred for a while. One day we were told that he was back in the hospital. This time he was quite shaky. He soon indicated he was anxious to see us. The story he told is most instructive, for here was a chap absolutely convinced he had to stop drinking, who had no excuse for drinking, who exhibited splendid judgment and determination in all his other concerns, yet was flat on his back nonetheless. Well, Fred, to me, has a story that sends a mixed message. So, so sure. So positive he could handle this. And that was Carmilla. 
Carmela was very positive she could handle it. That is many of us. And that is step one. Step one, that we are powerless. And no way could this man, no way would he let his ego say, I cannot handle it. Only for the fact that he relapsed again and realized that he was on his back, that nothing he could do was going to solve this. That's what drove Fred into program. And that's what has to hit many of us. We ride the waves. We think we can handle it. Okay, I got this. I got this. We get a few days. It works a few days. And then we're in the depths of hell. And we're in that hole. And we just want to stay in the hole. And sometimes we think... Death would be a blessing, but the reality is we have a power greater than ourselves that wants us to be happy, that wants us to live life free from the slavery and the choking of our disease that's got us by the throat and taking every breath away. This was Fred, and this is many of us. And it was Carmela until she finally got it and only because God gave it to her and put the food down and is now living with peace and serenity provided I continue to work the program every single day because all we have is today and we must work it every day and surrender every day. Thank you for allowing me to do service. Thank you, Carmela G. And I'm going to open up the floor and who would like to share this morning? Hearing I've heard only two people. I heard Charles and I heard Larry. Barbara E. Okay, before Kim Barbara. G. Chrissy G. <laughs> I'm lost, people. Kim G. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I got you, Kim. And But there was a, a number of you in the beginning. I did not. Chrissy. Chrissy. All right. Yeah. Got you, Kim. Okay. Harlan G. I got you, Harlan. I got you now, Harlan. Okay. Okay, this is what I got. This is what I got. I got Charles G., Larry K., Barbara G., Kim G, look at all the G's today. Chrissy G and Harlan G. All right. Charles, you're up. And then Larry. <laughs> Moderator, you are the real MVP. Anyway, Charles H, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, um, you know, you know it was gonna be a traffic jam today, Fred. You know, you know my man Fred. His story is in the first edition, a different slant. Um, shortest story in in, in the book. Um, unbelievable, man. You know, I, you know, you know what? Charles H was a, was a, was a great crackhead. I was kind. I would share my crack with you. I just, you know, it wasn't a cloud in the sky. I had a good job, nice family. Everything was great. The only thing is I had <laughs> a crack addiction and, you know, um, it, it put me, it put me in between 
uh, serenity and, and, and living. You know, I was just existing just to, just to smoke crack, and I would share my crack with you. And I'm making the analogy for, for sugar. Sugar is the most dangerous drug in existence, but I used it in the form of crack. Um, you know, and, you know, there was, everything was going great except for the fact that I'm a crackhead. Now, I could share that lovingly today because that is my truth. That is my reality. Um, I'm not ashamed of it because if it wasn't for that addiction, I wouldn't have this sobriety today. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be – it doesn't – and the lesson I get from Fred is it don't matter about outside stuff. It don't matter how much stuff I got. It don't matter how much materialistic things that I have. If I'm a crackhead, it's going to all go up in smoke. So Fred's lessons speak for itself. You know, um, thanks for the information. I'm out of here. And then, you know, I just go, go gone with the wind. But thank God for this big book and thank God for this person, um, Fred. He's a he's an instrumental person in my life. He uh he was a low bottom even though he had all the outside stuff. It was the internal stuff where it was killing him. That that thought. And with that I pass. I wanna hear the rest of the pack. Thank you, Charles H., and I was making everybody G's this morning. Larry K., it's your turn. <laughs> It'll be Barbara E. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thanks. Thanks so much. Um, you know, I, 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 I'll share my crack with anybody now, but it's Cracker Jacks. You ain't getting them. But anyway, um, that's just me. Okay, so, um, you know, with Fred, um, what I love about this story is I can relate in so many ways. It talks about a pleasant personality. I don't know that I had that. I know I didn't make friends very easily like Fred did. But it seems like Fred was a guy that kind of looked pretty good on paper. He had a good job. I can relate to that. Um, seems like he, he was, uh, you know, he was a, a fairly accomplished uh, guy in his field. Um, and, and, you know, it, it can be challenging for someone um, that comes into program that has all the ideas. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, my experience was, um, it was very challenging. It was extraordinarily challenging to begin to embrace these concepts. The paradox of surrender is very difficult. It was very difficult for me. Action I got right. As long as it was, as long as it was an action or a series of actions that I felt that I was willing to take. So I was all about the action but the surrender in the program was something different. And it sounds like that was the case with Fred. You know, what I liken it to with this program is, you know, before I had eye laser surgery a number of years ago, I could see pretty well if I had a thick pair of glasses on. You know, when I had the thick pair of glasses on, it would give me a little glimmer of clarity of sight, right? Uh, Kind of the way perhaps dieting with temporary weight loss can give one a glimmer of a good feeling a temporary solution of what one would experience. But see, after I had the eye laser surgery performed by a power greater than me, I couldn't perform it on myself, that's for sure. I know what permanent eradication of of blurry sight feels like. I've gone through that. And, And it's amazing. I can see. I was able to see once that surgery performed by a power greater than me, um, I was able to see more clearly and I can still see fairly clearly today, distance and so forth. Um, you know, that's the thing. I think Fred probably like me had to get to a place where they were, you were willing to put down, you know, your own ideas because they weren't getting me anywhere and pick up the spiritual toolkit, you know, for me. And that, and that was the case. 
you know, perhaps each of us can be said to be separated from our higher power. But in each of us, perhaps there's a, a fallen spark of the divine in this program and our, our chance of, you know, reuniting with this higher power is through the connection derived, not, not through my cognition, not through my thinking, but it was made, made known to me through personal experience. Perhaps Fred had that experience as well. So grateful for this story. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Barbara E., you're up, and then it'll be Kim G. Did you just say Barbara E.? I was unmuting. I did. Oh, thank you so much. And it is an E, absolutely. Well, I can relate to this story on so many levels. Fred was a long way from admitting he could do nothing about it himself. He felt self-knowledge would fix it. And when he had trouble accepting that he needed a spiritual remedy for his problem. Well, for me, too, it's all about control, ego, doing it my way, because I had a lot of self-knowledge, PhD, so to speak, in dieting, because I'd done it all of my life. And I always tweaked whatever program I was on so that I was, would be the poster girl of a particular pro, um, program. But the weight always came back. My ego always got in the way. Just last night, I know we're admonished in this group that this is a textbook, not literature. And we can't teach algebra before we learn how to count on our fingers. My son wanted to know why I was making these amends. These amends seemed so self-serving. So I said, would he be willing to read step eight and step nine? There was my mistake. What about steps one through seven? He came with, away with the thought that this was a terribly self-serving group of people and that I was doing it entirely for myself. And I said, yes, I am. I'm doing it to get rid of my compulsion to overeat, to kill myself. But then I'm also reaching out my hand to others to help others who are drowning in the waters of compulsive overeating. I missed the opportunity to take what I learned here, that the steps must be done in order. Don't ask someone to read step eight and nine before they understand what it's all about. So once again, I let my ego get in my way. And like Fred, it was a thought. It wasn't a real, I didn't pray, pause, ponder, and proceed. I just went in full tilt. I've learned a lesson, a lesson I will hope to undo in the future, but I can't. So for me today, it's all about learning from the big book, learning that I am not in control. I'm a bozo on the bus. I must pray. I must pause. I must ponder and proceed with caution. I've never been particularly sane around food, and I do know that the promise of finding a personal higher power did mean hope for me. It meant that my future was not necessarily in captivity, but like that poor little baby elephant tethered to a pole so it would be taught to follow directions and do as a 2,000-pound animal what it was supposed to do. I must be 
tethered to that pole of accountability today. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Kim G., it's your turn, and then it'll be Chrissy G. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Fred was so attractive a personality that he makes friends with everyone. If ever there was a successful businessman, it was Fred. You know, personally, I think if I, if I could rename this chapter, if I had that power, I would actually rename it why I need to come to Overeaters Anonymous. Because this whole entire chapter is about the mental twist. You know, and I love to compare Jim versus Fred. Because, you see, I'm someone that I thought I ate because of my circumstances. I thought I was an emotional eater. I thought if you had my life, you'd eat too. But if I look at these two guys, if I look at Jim, you know, I would, the guy would break up with me. Yeah, it made sense why I ate. But with Fred, why was I eating when the relationship was going well? You know, I think of saying those mental defenses that I heard in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, which in all honesty, you can probably hear in any conventional diet program. I have to avoid people, places, and things. I have to avoid my triggers. And I have to tell you, after learning the information in this book, I really have one trigger. It's being awake. If I am awake and I'm an untreated compulsive overeater, there's a darn good chance I'm going to eat. You know, think about the saying, halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, which works well, except I eat when I'm not hungry. I eat when I'm happy. I eat in social situations. And I eat after a good night's sleep. So I know we can't see to it, but I'm going to take a little survey. How many of you have eaten when you're sad? How many of you have eaten when you're happy? How many of you have eaten when there's a tragedy in your life? How many of you have eaten when there's a celebration in your life? How many of you have eaten when you have no money? How many have eaten when you have lots of money? How many of you have eaten when you lost a job? And how many of you have eaten when you got a promotion? I'll tell you, if that's your reality, which is my reality, you're screwed the same exact way that I am screwed. And when I internalize Jim versus Fred and realize that I cannot create a life in such a way that I am not going to want to eat, I become desperate, desperate for a spiritual solution because that's my only chance at recovering. And that is when we're going to turn to the next chapter, we agnostics, when I acknowledge that I need a power because these chapters have drilled into me that I am powerless. And especially, I had to understand that I was not just powerless when eating, but I was powerless when sober, and sobriety was my real problem. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Chrissy G., it's your turn, and then it'll be Harlan G., Hi, it's Chrissy G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater and Anorexic from New Jersey. Um, I, I love this because it tells me exactly what, what the, the solution isn't. And I did think when I first came in, I came into AA with my first 12-step program when I was very young. And I had a, a, not the, an ideal childhood and I always blamed my childhood on my eating. Always, always. I, I always thought that that's why and and it's it's ironic because now I come to find out that you know I put my life together really really nicely in in AA in my 20s and my 30s and that part of my life was very storybook and I still didn't I still didn't have whatever it took inside me to stay away from 
starving myself and exercising and having the obsession. The obsession was there regardless of what was going on in my life. And it's very helpful to be able to um, spread the message that the, so what the solution is, and that's a spiritual awakening as a result of working these steps in this program. It's, it's easy because we can use this illustration to show people, it, yeah, okay, so you can't relate to my life. My life wasn't a storybook because if I tell them my story, someone with a storybook childhood could say, well, I didn't have any of that. I didn't, you know, I'm not like you and they can't identify with me, but they could identify with, with Jim and I can use that as an illustration. This is, this is instructional. These stories are so that we can, we can help people identify in, even if our stories aren't exactly like theirs. So it's really, really helpful to have these as a tool to teach other people what the problem is and what the solution is not. The solution in this story is clearly not having all your ducks in a row because he did and he still couldn't stay sober. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Chrissy G. Harlan G., it's your turn. Thank you, Monica, and thank you to Team Monday for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. The author of this story, or the story that this is based on, is Harry Brick. Harry Brick wrote a story in the first edition of the big book called A Different Slant. And Harry later sued AA because he loaned them money to get the book printed, and they didn't pay him back in a timely fashion, so he actually sued AA. And, um, well, for that and another reason, his story was yanked out of there But in the, in the second edition. But Harry's story really brings home some things that the big book has been telling us and has been cycling that information, spiraling that information, sorry, quite a number of times. Let's look at the bottom of page 39, but before we do so, there's 362 people on the line this morning. Kinahora, what a, what a miracle, what a wonderful miracle. And I would be willing to bet that if I got to know every one of you, there are things that you've accomplished in your life that are astounding. But there's one thing you cannot do. There's two things you cannot do. Excuse me. There's two things you cannot do if you are a compulsive overeater. You cannot limit the number of M&Ms you eat once you start eating them. And you cannot keep from eating M&Ms now that you want to. One is because of the physical allergy, and two is because of the mental twist. Let's look at the bottom of 39. Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic, which means he would not take step one, much less accept a spiritual remedy for his problem. If you don't do one, you don't need two. We told him what we knew of alcoholism. What did they know of alcoholism? They told him of the twist of the mind, brought about by the buildup of emotions, and they told him of the physical allergy, that actual physical craving for more of the same that occurs in his body, excuse me, once he begins drinking, he was interested and conceited. He had some of the symptoms. He was a little bit pregnant, but he was a long way from admitting he could do nothing about it himself. That's me. 
I was 335 pounds as a senior in high school, and I was sure that I could do this myself. Fred was positive that his humiliating experience plus the knowledge he had acquired would keep him sober the rest of his life. Self-knowledge would fix it. I'm going to go back to page 7 in Bill's story. It says, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily, the allergy, and mentally, the twist. It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. That describes me to a T. So the information is being spiraled throughout the book. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Monica, star one, to unmute. Ah, that works so much better. I had to go out and come back in, forgot to unmute. <laughs> Thank you, Leah. Okay, for those that may have come in a little bit later, we're on Fred, uh, page 39, uh, the second paragraph on 39, and the first paragraph on 40. And who else would like to share this morning? Asa O. Madam. Asa. Matt. Liz T. Terry M. Wait a minute. Say that again. Karen? Terry Something N. N. Terry. 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 Something K. Say it again. Darian. 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 Darian with a D. Darian. Okay. Tenson T. Sima M. Okay. Uh, Tenson. All right. All right. This is what I got. I got Vasa O. I got my M. I got Ruth. I didn't get your last initial. Terry N. Darian K. I hope I got that. Tenson P. And Sima. Okay. Vasa, you're up. And then Matt. Sorry. Thank you, Monica, for your service. And I'm Vasa. Grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater calling from Florida. And I can identify to some of uh, to Fred with m- most of the stuff, but I was not hospitalized. And I remember sometimes I wished I was hospitalized. Uh, and again, I had a nice job. I was uh, a stay-at-home mom. I had three children. I had a husband. And sometimes I felt that maybe if I had another husband, I'd be happier. Uh, and I looked pretty good from the outside, and I'm sure probably people were envious of me. I was, I could accomplish, you know, I could do, I can do pretty much anything, but I could not put the food down. And I had those struggles for many, many, many years, and I thought I was supposed to do it. I was supposed to figure out by myself, by my willpower, and I explored, and I, you know, and I tried everything that I had heard people do out there, and none of it, I, it just couldn't do it any longer. And finally, I gave in into the food. Why bother? Why try when I'm just going to go right back into it? So I don't know how long that happened before I found Overeaters Anonymous. It could have been a year. But I, the reason 
I kept some of the, like I didn't really get over, overweight because I was physically very active, which I learned that later on. It was like form, form of bulimia. And I remember working really hard and saying, well, now I've burned so many calories, now I can eat, you know. And uh, that just wasn't working any longer. I was eating all the time. I was eating because I liked the effects of the, of the sugars, and uh, I just loved the sugars. And, but I had no clue. I never blamed anybody for my eating because I didn't know it was a disease. I didn't know it was an allergy. I just ate because I was angry. I was happy. I ate over anything. And finally, I thank God that my higher power that sent a person to me that introduced me to the OA program and the 12 steps. And I was shocked to find out it was a disease. And I was terrified. I said, you know, if I don't put this down, I'm just going to die. So I had the gift of desperation. And once I learned that food was drug, was like cocaine, was going to kill me. And I said, why would I want to put something like that into my body? It was going to kill me. I wish I could tell it was easy. I couldn't even imagine living my life without the sugars. My time is up. Without the sugars. But, again, I took the solution, and I thank God for the solution. And my time is up, and I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Vasa. Ma'am, it's your turn, and then it'll be Ruth. Can you hear me, Monica? I can. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Madam Gapostle over Eater. Yeah, Fred Fred is a partner in a well-known firm. He's very successful. He has a well-known family, father of promising children, and he has a huge ego. And it, I've learned that it takes all kinds of people who are alcoholic, whether you're skid row drunk, whether I'm a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety. Um, I am I am a compulsive overeater who's, who's, who's on the extreme side of the case. And you know what? I'm just like everybody else. I'm just another sardine in the can, as my friend says. Um, I'm nobody special, but you know what? I'm, I'm unique in the fact that I'm one of you, and I can be part of this group as, in, as, as a, the, we, the WE program. And um, I am a compulsive overeater. I'm going I'm 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 to be one for the rest of my life, and I realize that. And um, I've, there's been times where I've made my mind to stop eating altogether, but that, that, that doesn't, just because I'm making my mind doesn't mean it's going to actually happen. As someone said, I cannot um, stop the amount of M&M's or Oreo cookies I eat, because once I start eating them, I cannot stop. I have to have as much as I possibly can and eat and eat and eat, you know. I was positive that I had a lot of humiliating experiences over my life, getting fired from eating from, from jobs, for eating the, the food in the break room, eating people's lunches, um, doing other things, and getting in fights with people because I wanted this and I wanted that, you know, or buying lunch, or bringing lunch with me and ordering food out. So the things I did, and I was very embarrassed in a lot of my jobs. But um, I basically understand that now. I am, I am going to be a compulsive eater, but I'd rather die a recovered one. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Matt M. And Ruth, you're up. And if you'll please tell us your last initial, and then it'll be Terry N. Ruth, star one to unmute. Hello? 
Okay. Well, apparently there's some technical difficulties possibly going on there. Terry N., can you come on? Good morning, everyone. This is Terry N. from New Jersey. Um, I wanted to share on this because I could really relate to this paragraph. <laughs> um, the, the line where it says he made up his mind to quit drinking altogether, it never occurred to him that perhaps he could not do so. And I spent a very long time feeling as though um, I could control this. And you know, I can remember going to like diet programs and thinking to myself, you know, if you just wanting to tell people, you know, if you didn't eat all that sugar, you wouldn't crave it. And, you know, knowing certain things about myself. And they talk about that a lot in this chapter about this self-knowledge. And I think I suffered for a very long time with a bunch of self-knowledge <laughs> that, um, and that I really never understood in the first place. Um, because if I had understood what it meant, like I always thought I knew that I was a compulsive overeater, but apparently I never really understood what that meant and that I couldn't control it. And I had to go a long time trying to control it before I got that gift of def desperation. Um, and the, the, you know, I, I had, I knew, you know, I had some of the symptoms, you know, but I was a long way from admitting that I could do anything about it myself. I did it for myself for many years, off and on, off and on, up and down, up and down. Um, and I, you know, I thought that what I knew about myself, that I couldn't eat sugar, that I couldn't eat flour, I thought that these things that I knew about myself would keep me, would keep me sober. And, you know, it worked off and on for a while, or at least that's what I thought. And, you know, I'm just... I'm grateful today to be here. I'm grateful today to have the um, the willingness to seek the spiritual remedy, and that I'm grateful to God for having given me that gift of desperation. And I'm just so grateful for all of you, and I'm grateful to start really feeling a part of, and have a wonderful day, everybody, and thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Cherry Ann. And, and Ruth. Ruth? Uh, have you been able to come on? I didn't get your last initial, Ruth. All right. Well, then we will carry on. And Darian K., it's your turn, and then it'll be Tense and P. Can you hear me? And who is this? This is Darian. Yes. Go ahead. Hi. Yes, it's Darian K. from Massachusetts. Ah, so grateful to be on the line. Um, I learned very early on in program that um, I need to step outside myself and get get past the self-centered fear of um, sharing. So I I have been really trying, you know, I, I push myself often to try to become a remain a part of the group by sharing. Um, so I I do thank you for choosing me. Um, I um. Yeah, I can relate to that story of Fred, too. I, you know, when I first came around many years ago, um, I, I did hear stories of um, people that had really awful childhoods and 
or, you know, just, just terrible things, abuse and, and all, all kinds of stuff. And, and, you know, my goodness, I couldn't relate to that. I had a, a very loving family. I did have situations in my life with my dad and stuff, but, you know, I knew that I was loved and um, was told all the time. And uh, I don't know, I just, I thought, well, you know, I, maybe I'm just not so bad. And, um you know, and then I also was told all the time, oh, you have such a pretty face, if only you could lose weight, which I'm sure, you know, many of you um, can relate to. And, you know, I used to think, well, I wish I was ugly because I can't do this, you know. I, this is just too hard for me. I wish it all fit together instead of my face looking different than my body um, because I couldn't, I just couldn't stop eating. I could not be honest with those diets. They were wonderful diets for people that could be honest. If I could stick to them and really write down all those foods I ate and then show those leaders how I did it, you know, how I maybe gained those few pounds by eating this, that, and the other thing um, and being honest, I maybe I would have learned something. But instead, I lied and actually paid money to do that, which is so insane. So um, I'm just so grateful that I have this program in my life that I have all of you to listen to every single day of the week on my way to work and, um, you know, that I do have the solution and, and, you know, and it is working the steps and it is listening to the pearls of wisdom that all of you have for me. So I'm just going to listen more intently and, um, and thank you so much, everybody. But that, I'll pass. Thank you, Darian Kay. Tenson P. It's your turn, and then it'll be Sima. And Sima, mm. I'll need your last initial when we get there. Good morning, Tenson. everyone. Good morning. Um, Good morning. Thank you to all who are listening, and thank you to all who have shared, very moved by the shares, and very shaken by this story, actually, in a way that I haven't experienced before. Um, you know, Fred, um, he thought that having had a humiliating experience plus self-knowledge would solve it for the rest of his life. And I would say that it's been that way with me. I've experienced that um, in all my addictions. Um, thank you, God, for recovery. Um, but then next he goes on to say that this time he was quite shaky and anxious to see us. And we're going to hear, I guess, tomorrow the details of what Fred has to say about what happened to him. Um, but just hearing that he was quite shaky and anxious to see us. So I I feel the the shakiness and I also rejoice that here right here is the willingness of being brought to my knees. And, um, you know, and finally, whatever, whatever that is, that's the grace that the last uh, uh, rationalization um, departs, as, so, as the last person put it, the gift of desperation. So I think that's all I'd like to share. And um, my life changes because of all of you and the big book and recovery and a connection with higher power. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tenson P. And Sima, it's your turn. 
Good morning, Mrs. Simma. Uh, last initial M. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much. Um, good morning to everyone, and thank you for uh, everyone that shared and for Team Monday. Uh, yeah, Fred and I didn't have that much in common, except that you know I was successful in my chosen uh, field of employment, and um, I was successful at diving um, when I decided that that was that was it. I was going to do it. Um, but then uh, something would happen. I don't know what it was. I couldn't explain it. But all of a sudden, I would uh, start binging. I didn't even know what that word was at the time and gain all the weight back. And then I, I would decide after a while that it must have been that that wasn't the right diet, and I would try a different one. And after I tried a series of different ones, there was no way knocking on my door to explain the, the disease to me. So I had to do a lot more suffering on my own until I found out about it. But um, I just remember the humiliation because it's obvious when a compulsive overeater fails and they gain all the weight back. Plus, the astonishment of people, you know, that would, I could see the looks on their faces because the rapidity with which I would gain the weight was um, incredible. And uh, I remember one time... Um, I had when I was thin. I had been dating this guy, and then hadn't seen him for a while, and had gained all the weight back. And then he called me, and he wanted to see me. And um, I said, "Okay," but I looked different. And uh, the look on his face, jaw dropping. And uh, of course, I never heard from him again after that. But um, I guess, like Fred, I thought I could handle it. I thought it was just um, I just needed the right diet and the right frame of mind and um, <clears throat> and everything would be fine and of course it wasn't and eventually I found out about OA and um, grateful to the founders of OA and especially to A Vision for You which has um, given me a much firmer uh, grasp on this uh, recovery and thank you all for sharing uh, with me and thank you for letting me share in my path. Thank you, Sima M. And we've got five minutes, so two shares. Who would like to share? Anita J. Anita. I heard Liz Anita. Chris, was there a Chris? Liz. Liz. Liz B. Okay, I got Anita J. Sorry. All right. Okay, gotcha. Anita J. and Liz T. is in Tom. Anita, it's your turn. Oh. Thank you very much, Monica. Thanks to all. I'm Anita J. Recovered out here in Massachusetts. And I've always identified with Fred um, because of the self-knowledge. You know, the self-knowledge was a dead end in terms of understanding and recovering and surrendering to the disease of compulsive overeating. It wasn't a dead end in that I needed to uncover what I had repressed. I had repressed everything before the age of seven. And as that all began to come, each time I got it through therapy, that was good for about nine months of abstinence. See that self-knowledge? There I went, boom, 
but it wasn't the real knowledge I needed. I didn't understand this problem. I didn't understand that the, uh, I have something inside of me that once I ingest foods that, that trigger me, I can't stop. I cannot stop. And, and, you know, and then that head will start. And the head, you know, the head used to do things like, why did my father do that? What? You know, la, 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 la. Well, yes, those answers were good to know, but they had nothing to do with my learning that I am a compulsive overeater of the hopeless kind unless I surrender. And, um, you know, I suspected what you hear Harlan say all the time. I suspected it, but I never had the confidence to say it. And that was early on that my real illness, you know, was, had, uh, was not the food. The food was the solution. And it kept me from that childhood from probably killing myself or, or acting out in ways that I would have been hard to live with. So I am very grateful. I'm very grateful. And you know what? I've been in, you know, it's going to be 40 years, folks, in May. And it's only been since February 3rd of 2014 that I finally got it. Hallelujah. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita J. And Liz T., it is your turn, and we have two minutes. Okay. Hi, good morning. This is Liz T. in Minnesota. And thank you, Monica, and everyone for a great meeting this morning. Um, I love Fred. He's one of my favorite guys in the big book. I can relate so much to him. Um, If ever there was a successful businessman, it was Fred. To all appearance, he is a stable, well-balanced individual, yet he is alcoholic. For me, that's the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind when I start eating certain uh, alcoholic ingredients, engaging in certain behaviors like grazing is one of mine. Once I start engaging in that, I can't stop. And then once I finally stop or, quote, unquote, go on another diet, I can't reasonably predict when I'm going to go back to that behavior, that ingredient. That mental obsession gets so loud that that, um, it takes control. Um, I uh, can also relate to everything else going well in my life, you know, the the healthy family, um, outward appearances were very important to me. I cared a lot about what everyone else thought of me, so I had to keep up this outward appearance, but inside I was dying. I was like a shell of a person. I was like the walking dead. Um, You looked at me funny or you disapproved of me, and I could crumble in an instant. Um, And and I'm just grateful for this program. I'm starting to rebuild as a person and grow up as a person. And, um, you know, I had the doctorate degree and everything. And in the face of this illness, this disease, this compulsion, uh, I had no no human aid um, could could come up against it. I needed a spiritual experience, a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. And I'm very grateful to this this phone line, this meeting, this uh, OA for helping me um, 
see that and be willing to do the work involved. And I'm guessing I'm coming up on two minutes, so with that, I'll pass. Have a good day. Thank you, Liz T. Perfect. Thank you to everyone who has shared this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And the share ID for today, Monday, the 19th of March, 7 a.m. meeting is 11,182, 11182. And I will ask Russ M. if he will read for us, please, from page 164. Good morning, Monica. Can I be heard? Yes. All right, thank you. It's Russ M., Recovered Compulsive Leader Outside of Philadelphia. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to us and more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand him. Admit your faults to him and your fellows. Clear away the records of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.